Good morning. Welcome to week number four of a five-part series called Stand. Uh, let me catch you up with where we've been. We have uh, let you know over the course of the past three weeks that one thing Babylon represents in Scripture and all the way through Scripture, really, all the way through the book of Revelations, the, the country of Babylon in Scripture represents uh, a nation that um, does not pursue God. It represents a nation that has a lot of independence, uh, a lot of decisions, a lot of choices that they can make. In fact, it's a nation that doesn't necessarily have to worry about where they're going to get their next meal. And because of that, because they have that, then they are able to have some free time. Because they don't spend every single moment getting uh, uh, surviving. And so they have free time to make choices, to to, to say, here's what I'm going to do with my free time. It, it's just a very unique setting in that day and time. And Babylon represents a nation whose heart does not pursue God. And I just want to present to you the possibility that if ever there were a Babylon in modern day times, that that might be this time. We live in a country that is so blessed that probably you could go home to wherever you're staying and there's probably a refrigerator and it has some food in it. doesn't have to be packed, but you probably have some canned goods around. You probably have some food that would give you enough to put a meal together. And so today you're probably not going to have to go out and gather or harvest or put together a meal. You're probably not going to have to go hunt to eat today. And because of that, we then have this thing called free time. And among the world, worldwide, I know that some of us don't feel wealthy. We don't feel blessed. We don't feel successful, wealthy, well-off. But when you look at our lives compared to that of the world, most of the world lives on less than $2 a day. When we compare ourselves to the world, we are among the wealthiest in the entire world. Even though we may not personally feel like it, the fact is we are. And because we are, because today we're not going to have to go and gather up and, and harvest or kill what we're going to eat today, because of that, that means we get the luxury of making choices and how we're going to spend our free time, what we're going to do with our lives. We get to decide how we're going to play, what we're going to do. And it seems like that the more choices we have, the more that we get to do what we want to do, it seems the closer we get to a customized life. Because we can each customize our own life. I will do this. I'm not going to do this. I choose this. I don't choose this. And we get all these choices, all these things, and we truly get a custom-built life, our way, what we decide, what we want. And the more things we get our way, the more independent, like in Babylon, the more independent we come, we become from God. We don't have to do it. God's way. 
the more independent we become from God, the less that we lean in on Him. A customized life, living independent from God because we're making lives our own way, doing what we want, and ultimately sending the message we don't really need God. We don't really have to have God. I mean, yes, we feel like we should go to church and we should... We should do these things, but we really don't have to. We begin to think that our choices and our lives really begin with us. We are in control. We're creating our future. We're creating a life for us that is about us, God not included. And that's the way life was in Babylon. And if ever there was a life similar to that, it seems to be today, doesn't it? We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 4 at just an amazing story that's a true story documented in history. Just amazing. Here's where we're going to start. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. This is the only section here in Daniel really that was written not by Daniel. This was written by the king himself. And here's what he had to say in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. I, I need to say this, material blessings, they're not always a mark of God showing favor on someone. Not always a mark of, of, of someone. If we were to listen to the TV evangelists, we would have to believe that God desired all of us to be financially prosperous, but that is not what God says. In this scenario, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a God follower. Here he says, I'm in my palace of comfort and prosperity. He's taking credit for everything in his life. Listen to this in verse 5. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling to all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. Verse 7. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them my dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. I'm going to pause here and say, mm, I don't think that's really the way it went down because Nebuchadnezzar was fierce, and he was well known for, it was just a fact. If he did not like what you told him, even if he was asking you to tell him that and he did not like what he heard, he would just very simply have you ripped into pieces literally. And so I can quite imagine after they heard this dream, nobody was gutsy enough to tell him what it meant because they knew what it would mean possibly for them. Verse 8, at last, King Nebuchadnezzar said this, at last Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. His name was Belteshazzar after my God and the spirit of the Holy Ones in him. Verse 9, I told him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, he was kind of in charge of all these guys, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now, tell me what my dream means. Verse 10. So he goes in. While I was lying in bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and very strong, reaching high into the heavens for the whole world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for everyone to eat. Wild animals lived in the shade, and the birds nested in its branches. 
the, all the world was fed from this tree. Verse 13, then as I lay there dreaming, I saw this, a messenger, a holy one, come down from heaven, and the messenger shouted this, cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the bird from its branches. Verse 15. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. Verse 16. For seven periods of time, that's seven years, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of human. For this has been my this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One, so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I King Nebuchadnezzar had. Now tell me what it means, for none of my wise men in the kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now listen to what happens. Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time. He, he was speechless. He was, couldn't talk. And here's why. It said he was frightened by the meaning of the dream. In other words, it's like, I, I know if I tell him what this really means, I know what could happen to me, but I, I, I've, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. He was frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Yeah, right, because Daniel knew he couldn't believe what the king was saying. He, if he didn't like, he was very well could be ripped into pieces. And here's what happened. Belteshazzar replied, I, w I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies. Oh, my Lord, not to you. Verse 20, the tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. He said, that tree, your majesty, is you. You have grown strong and great. And the king's like, yeah, I have. Your greatness reaches up to heaven. It sure does. And, you're, and you rule to the ends of the earth. He did. He ruled to the ends of almost to the known earth at the time. In other words, he would say, King, the king Nebuchadnezzar said, yeah, I, I am great. I am good. Let me thank me for my food. Verse 23, then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut the tree down and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, surrounded by tender grass. It's almost as if to say, God is going to allow something horrible to take place here. But then he's going to kind of set up some iron and some bronze and, and, and he's going to, there's going to be tender grass around this devastation and, and he's going to take that iron and brass and protect what is left of that stump, of that tree. Almost as if to say, no one else is going to be able to harm it. No one else is going to be able to devastate it further than what I am allowing. I am going to take it to this point, and then I'm going to protect it. Sounds weird. The strange kind of grace 
that God says I'm going to have. After I bring some devastation, I'm going to have some protection here. And he says, let him, this, let him now be drenched with the dew of heaven. In other words, he's going to live outside. He's not going to have any shelter. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. For seven years, you're just going to be with the domestic animals that are grazing out here in the pasture. You're going to spend all your time with them. And this is what the dream means, your majesty, and the most high has declared this will happen to my Lord, you, the king. It's going to happen. Verse 25, you will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields and the wild with the wild animals. King, you're going to eat grass like a cow. You're going to be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass, and you're going to live this way. In other words, you're going to be this way for seven years, eating grass with the cows until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses the king had lived so independent from god and so apart from god so in his own strength his own desire his own choices his own life independent, apart from God. And we in the United States have that same tendency, that luxury that says, I, I, this is my life, I can do what I want, the choices are mine to do, to live the way I choose to live and to do what I want. We just have that tendency. It reminds me of something that Jesus said. I'm not going to have it on the screen for you, but listen to this. Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say it was impossible. And he's not speaking against money. What he's saying is we have a tendency to place our hope and our emphasis and our security and our God into money and what we have and the choices we can do, the things we can do. And we place it there and we abandon God. And that's what the king had done. Why? Because we have this feeling that we can live without God. In verse 26, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. And this means that you'll receive your kingdom back when you have learned that heaven rules. King, you are not in control. You may be living your life to please you and to do what you want and what you think is right and the way you think it should go. But ultimately, God rules. Verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and please do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then, perhaps then you will continue to prosper. 
Daniel's saying, King, please stop the madness. Stop, stop living independent from God. Stop just giving him a nod one day a week or one morning a week and, and just acknowledging him as if we might have a tendency to do is to just acknowledge God on Sundays and then, then to live our lives the way we choose and just what we want to do the rest of the week. This is the very same king who in the chapter before this had said when he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire alive, that he threw them in and they were not harmed, they were not hurt, and only God could have done that. And he said, only God could have done that. And this is the God, the God of the world, of everybody, of everybody ever created. This is the God. But that's not how he lived. It's what he said. But it wasn't how he lived. He said that. And then he lived his life, his own way, his own choices, thinking that everything was by his own power. I want you to listen to a passage in the New Testament that talks about what it's going to be like someday. Paul is saying, it's not like this today, but someday it's going to be like this. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Is Paul writing to Timothy. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving they will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They're going to betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And he said, stay away from people like that. Does that not sound like today. Daniel is saying to the king, please, 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 king, stop living apart from God. Stop sinning. Break from the past and what you've been doing, and perhaps then you're going to prosper and continue to prosper. But I believe there's a problem here that we have in our lives here. The real problem is this. Are you, are you ready for this? Here it is. If in your life you have a stronghold, something that's hanging on to you, I'm not talking about a physical state. I'm talking about a sin that is just kind of latched on to you and it won't let go and you can't get rid of it. It's something, some stronghold in your life that's hanging on to you. I believe if we look to the root where is that rooted? Why is that hanging on to us? I think we might find the answer to that in our lives is this one word, pride. Pride. I believe that the root of all sin that hangs on to our lives can be traced to a major, large root of pride. And here's why. Think about this. 
whatever it is in your life that may be hanging, whatever sin, whatever thing that you continue to do, that you say, I don't want to do, I shouldn't do, I know I should do it, and you continue to, I, I think it can be boiled down, a major part of that to pride. Here's why. Because pride, pride keeps us captive to whatever that is because it won't let us admit that we need help. Pride won't let you go to a solid Christian counselor. Pride won't let you go to a recovery meeting. Pride won't let you go. And pride will eventually drive you mad, steal everything from you, and it will kill your relationships. It will destroy you. Every week, it seems like I tell somebody, I'll be glad to encourage you, but listen, you need to go to a good, solid Christian counselor. You, I, I will encourage you today, but this is what you, you need to go to a counselor. And then this is what I hear. Sometimes that day, sometimes weeks later, sometimes through the grapevine. Here's what I hear. I, I don't want anybody telling me that I'm wrong. I don't want someone telling me I'm wrong. I, I, or I hear this. I, I don't want someone else to know my business. Or I hear them say this. I I don't have the money to go. But then guess what? Then they're at El Canaveral eating it up. Then they're drinking Cokes all week long. Then they're buying a case of tobacco. Then they're making payments on a boat or a motorcycle. But they say, I don't have the money to do what's really important. But the thing is, it is our pride that won't let us do it. It's our pride that won't let us admit that there are problems in my life or problems in my home or problems in my marriage. There are, it's pride that keeps us captive and away from all help. Some of us today, we have this sense that our lives are out of control, that a marriage or relationship is out of control, and our pride won't let us go to a counselor. And that pride eventually will kill that relationship. And here Daniel is moved with emotion and he's just speechless in the beginning. And then he begs his friend, the king, to repent, to change his direction of thinking. But all the words and all the warnings, all the begging was to no avail because of one word, pride. Verse 28, but all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months, verse 29, focus on those three words, twelve months later. It did not happen instantly. This dream happened and he went on for a year living independent from God, unchanged, living in his pride for a year. Thinking, well, it didn't happen last week, last month, last year. I'm, I'm, didn't happen last night. I, 
And her pride just kept him in himself. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon, verse 30. As he looked out across this city, he said, look at this great city, Babylon. By my own mighty power, I've built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And I, this is so sobering. Verse 31, while the words were still in his mouth, as they were coming out of his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow for seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Here's today's bottom line. Everyone eventually finds out they are not like God. We will either surrender to him or we will mock him. Everyone eventually finds out they are not like God. And the result? We either surrender to him or we choose to mock him with our decisions and our lives that we live every day. Verse 33, that same hour, it wasn't instantly, sometime during that hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He did. He ate grass like a cow. He lost his mind for seven years. He was drenched with the dew. That means he lived outside with the animals. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagles, feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. How long was he going to live this way? The Bible said until he submitted, surrendered. His pride had taken him to the top and his pride now destroyed him. Listen to this, verse 34. After this time had passed, that seven years, he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I looked up to heaven. And that is to say, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up and admitted to God, this life was not about me. It is not about me. I am not a self-made man. I am not here to please myself and just do what I want to do. I am not like you, God. And I have to submit to you. I've been mocking you with my decisions and my life and my actions, my behavior, my attitudes. Now I submit to you. And then he said, my sanity 
returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High, and I honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing all these things? In other words, he said, I no longer will live in such a way as to to have pride, to say, this is about me. But I will humble myself. And sometimes God allows us to be humiliated to bring about repentance and righteousness. So how important is it to do what Daniel said and for us to choose to step over our pride, to lay it down and just submit ourselves to God? To humble ourselves before God. He said in verse 36, When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and the kingdom. Because it wasn't about me. I had convinced myself that I had done all of this and made myself what I am in this kingdom, what it is. But I realized it really was not about me. And I submitted to God. He said, my advisors and nobles, they now sought me out. And I was restored as head of the kingdom with even greater honor than before. In other words, I I, I thought things were great then. But man, God really showed me when I submitted to him. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. To deny that God is the ruler over all of his creation, including you and including me, to deny that is to say that I am king of me. That I am the almighty ruler of my life. I answer to me. And only Harley can tell Harley what to do. And the God of heaven, the king of heaven will not tolerate me living that way. Therefore, it is better To humble ourselves rather than to wait on God to force us towards humility. Because everyone eventually finds out they are not like God. And we will either surrender to him or we will mock him. And this morning my hope is that you will surrender to God, the King of Heaven. Our next step is the same thing we've been talking about for two weeks. We're just simply going to ask you to do this. On on the back of your connection card, you can say, yeah, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to continue doing this. We're just going to ask you to read eight verses a day out of Psalm 119. Just eight verses a day. Start at the beginning, 
Read eight verses the next day, go to the next eight. Just wherever you are, just continue that process. And then also read one chapter out of Proverbs each day. And by doing so, saying to God, God, Psalm 119 talks about us falling in love with God's word. Surrendering to what God says and his words and, and his words of life. And then Proverbs is all about surrendering to God's way of thinking and God's wisdom. Saying, God, I need help. This life is not about me. I need to surrender, submit to you. Will you do that? Will you read those things with us this week? Until you work your way all the way through Proverbs and all the way through Psalm 119. And then I want to close this with a prayer. As I do so, the band's going to be making their way to the front. But here's, here's what I, I, I do. This is what I call a me too prayer. And in your heart, you don't even have to say this out loud, just in your heart. If what I'm saying resonates with your heart, you just simply say, God, that's me too. That's my heart too. And so some of this prayer might only relate to some of us here in this room today. There are other parts of it that will relate to all of us. And I'll just kind of clue you in as we go. Will you join me in a prayer of commitment to our God? You talking to God. Let me see if I can help put words to our heart this morning. Let's pray. If this echoes your heart, in your heart, you just simply say, God, that's me too. I'm praying this too. God, I have a stronghold in my life. Something has me captured and my pride has held me prisoner, not letting me get help. This week, beginning right now, I'm going to learn to step past my pride, laying my pride down, admitting to you, God, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I admit I need you, Jesus. Now, some of you need to pray this next part. Some of you, for the very first time, need to submit your life to Jesus. Maybe you've said words before in your past, maybe never meant them or followed through with it, but maybe now it's real to you and you understand you need to do this. This part of the prayer is for you. God, for the first time, really, I'm choosing you. I'm becoming a real Christ follower, a Christian, starting now. Thank you for paying for my sins on the cross, and I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. It now belongs to you. Now, some of you, maybe you already are a Christian. Maybe you meant that prayer when you prayed it before or at another time in your life. But maybe you have drifted away from God. Maybe you need to pray this. God, I'm already a Christian, but I have not really been following you because of my pride. I've been living my life my way. But I'm laying down my pride right now. And I'm going to follow you. Now this prayer. I hope that all of us can pray this next prayer together. God, I know that action is needed. Not mere words. Not tipping my hat to you. But action. 
So this week, I will take action. I will take steps of humility by actually seeking help. I will begin to dispose of my pride. I will humbly get into your word and begin to follow it. Now, this is a big step here. Some of you need to say this. Some of us do. This is big. God, some of us need to prove our humility by seeking to follow some godly wisdom from a strong Christ-following counselor or professional. God, Nebuchadnezzar told the world this. He sent a message to people of every race, every nation, every language throughout the world. He said, peace and prosperity to you. And then he said, I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How powerful are his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule throughout all generations. And Father, now for us here today in 2015, may we recognize that we are not like you. We are not God. And may we not mock you, but may we surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.